let's fuck this chicken. Welcome to episode five of the Creative Ass Adults podcast. Uh, it's been a uh, been a slow news week. Not really too much has been going on. Uh, dropping the pod a day late. Had a long one yesterday. Was doing some cool stuff uh, with some cool people that uh, I'm excited to talk about when I have more information on when it's going to be released. But yeah, it's been a chill week so far. So. It's going to be a short podcast, not like the two-hour joint I put out last week. We're not doing that this time. I got to get to sleep, as well as uh, just really ain't too, too much happened uh, since I've been here last. Uh, definitely want to start off at the top of the podcast before we even really get into anything, saying RIP to uh, Juice World, unfortunate uh, passing of, uh, of uh, one of the newer artists I can honestly say uh, that I fucked with as far as I dug what he was talking about. Doug is general vibe. Um, dude seemed to, you know, honestly be about uh, positivity. And uh, and he made dope music. He made dope music I could vibe with. Of the newer sound, it's definitely somebody I could say I rock with. I have quite a few friends who are um, big fans of his. My my homeboy Raheem, who we had on the very first episode of the podcast, he's a big Juice World fan. And uh, I know he met Juice World when he was working, I believe, Bonnaroo? Or Lollapalooza? One of the festivals he was working. And, uh, and he met Juice World and... Kind of confirmed it, you know, dude seemed like a pretty solid guy, so definitely RIP to him, um, sucks for all of his fans, super unfortunate how dude passed, you know, this uh, this, this culture right now, what's going on with this uh, these opioids, bro, just stay away from that shit, I mean, coming from Texas, definitely have been exposed to and all about, you know, lean culture and stuff like that since I was probably in middle school, I don't fuck with it anymore just because I feel like it's not the same, like that shit is, as anything gets more manufactured, it is, it's just not what it was, what it once was. And uh, I think, I don't know, man, I think the culture just glorifies uh, using opioids in a way that just kind of just really helped the pharmaceutical companies more than anybody. It's just making them rich and um, and uh, unfortunately making a lot of really dope artists not be here with us anymore. So RIP to Juice World, uh, go bang dude's music, go run his numbers up. I'm sure he got family, so definitely, uh, definitely, uh, you know, want to say moment of silence for that that dude for sure. So sad loss for the culture. All right, so getting right into the regular pod. Definitely gonna get right off with the last thing I listened to, last thing I watched, and last thing I read. Um, last thing I listened to, I think I'm gonna say for last, just because I don't really have a whole lot to say about too much of the music that came out in the last week. Um, I'm still really banging a lot of the same stuff from the last podcast, still listening to the Queen of Slim uh, soundtrack a lot. Um, yeah, still listening to a lot, of, a lot of Lucky Day, a lot of the same shit I've been listening to, nothing that's come out, especially not since the last podcast has really piqued my interest, anything crazy. So just for the sake of time, um, what I'm going to talk about first, because I got a bone to pick with niggas, what I'm talking about first is This Is Us. So for everybody who watches This Is Us and didn't tell me that shit was fucking phenomenally written, I got a bone to pick with you. Fuck you. Fuck you. That shit is so good, bro. That shit is fucking great. Like, anything that's so well written that it actually makes me go look up, like, yo, who who does this? Like, who's, who's, who shit is this? Who creates this? Like, anytime I'm actually doing that, um, I'm definitely wanting to know, you know, where did this come from? Who are the writers? What is their background? Um, this is us is really, really well written. Uh, I just started it. I know I'm late. That shit's like on season, 
I want to say like four or five. Ooh, mellow with the finger roll. It's on like season four or five. And um, yeah, it's it's really well written. <laughs> it's really, really, really well written. Uh, I had to go up and look up the writers and lo and behold, I knew, I was like, if, you, if, if, if your show is that good, you got, you got to have a nigga on the staff. So I looked it up and I was like, ah, lo and behold, not only is there a nigga on the staff, there's a black woman on the staff. I was like, oh, that's where all this heart comes from. Gotcha. Motherfucking four episodes in, I had already cried like four times. I was like, this shit is good. Um, huge fan of the types of shows that have premises where there's like two different storylines of the same characters going on at once. So I like the, the fact that there's the, you know, the this is how we came to be in the old school storyline playing out of how the parents met and how, you know, the black son got adopted and dope. That's super dope to have it going parallel with the fact that, you know, all these people are now living their lives and this is how they got to be the way they are. Yeah. That shit's the premise of it is well-written. The characters are well-written. Sterling K Brown is a fucking beast. Like that shit just makes me want to go see waves, which I haven't seen yet. But yeah, that that shit is. I am I am now officially a fan of This Is Us, and that is uh, probably the majority of what I've been watching lately. Anytime I haven't been watching sports or working on my own shit, um, if I'm watching something, it's been This Is Us. And I know I'm late, but that's really just like I said, a shame on you and a fuck you to everybody I know that knew this shit was fire and never fucking told me how good it was. Like y'all niggas know I like well written stuff. Ain't nobody gonna tap me and say, hey, go watch This Is Us. That shit's on Hulu. Fuck out of here, bro. That shit, oh man, I'm tight. I could have been watching this shit a long time ago. Now I'm playing catch up, but I ain't tripping. I kind of like watching stuff outside of the realm of when everybody else is watching it anyway. Like I like being able to form my own opinions. There's so much shit on platforms and social media and everything. It's real easy to have your opinion of what something is be skewed by how somebody else rated it, especially if it's like somebody whose opinion you respect. It's like, oh shit, uh, oh, Chance the Rapper said I don't like it. Well, I guess I don't like it now either. Uh, even if you don't think like that, like you don't might not think of yourself as like having that just outwardly sheepish mentality, but you'd be surprised with this constant intake of shit that you're just looking at on our phones and everything, that it's easy to allow your own opinion to be skewed by something, even if it was unintentional or like you weren't trying to or didn't realize it was happening. So I actually like watching shit when other people aren't watching it because then I really get to be like, do I fuck with this or do I fuck with it because it's a wave? So the, major- the majority of shit I watch, actually, I wind up watching after people because I just don't be having time to watch shit when it's going on with the exception I think the last thing that I was like I'm watching this when it comes out don't fuck with me don't talk to me I don't care if you can stream it I'm watching it when it drops was Game of Thrones that's probably the only show that like brought that back out of me like I gotta watch this shit when it happens and don't talk to me while it's happening so that's probably the last thing I I, uh, I watched like that but This Is Us is phenomenal great show been watching that a lot lately um also watched The Irishman I actually watched The Irishman on the day after Thanksgiving on the way back, uh, on the bus on the way back from Houston when I went to go visit my family uh, for Thanksgiving. And that's just long as fuck, but it's really, it's 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 so well done, and I'm a huge Scorsese fan. It's so well done that it's a, it's a three-hour movie, and you're like, damn, I could have watched that movie for like another 45 minutes. Like, it's that, it's that well shot. It's that well written. It's got so, I mean, my God. Like, everybody is talking about the the Pacino delivery. Like, and it's fucking Al Pacino. I mean, come on. But they're talking about Pacino and they're talking about De Niro. But my God, bro, um, why is his name escaping me right now? Good fellas, Joe Pesci, Joe Pesci's fucking character, Joe Pesci, fucking, I feel like he stole the show. Like I've, I was looking for, um, you know, wild performances from Bobby De Niro, and I was looking for that shit. 
It's like, oh shit, we never get to see Robert De Niro and fucking um, Al Pacino in a movie. And that's always like the, the conversation. That's not a foul. That's not a foul. That's not a foul. Yeah, that's not a foul. <laughs> they're always, we're always having the conversation of who's a better actor. And it's always like this stalemate. Because it's like if you have one movie, somebody has another movie. And, you know, if you, you kind of throw down these cards back and forth and we never get to see them, like, actually act in the same film. And to me, they both, I mean, exceeded expectations in delivering their characters. But, I mean, yeah, Joe Pesci, to me, Joe Pesci stole the show on The Irishman. Like, everybody was as good as I expected them to be, but he was better than I expected him to be. And I fuck with Joe Pesci. Like, there's there's, there's characters that he's played in, like, you know, gangster films or mob films or whatever you want to call them. Um, but he kind of usually plays the same guy. He usually plays, like, this live wire, this loose cannon. He's, like, the guy that talks shit and just, like, ah, shit, we got to go bury this dude because Joe Pesci's character just popped off and killed this nigga. And it's just like, damn it, nigga, now you just created more work for us to have to hide this body. Like, but in this in this movie, in The Irishman, he plays, like, the the chill dude. Like, I'm, I'm still calling shots. I'm still, like, you know what I'm saying? I'm still, I'm still putting out hits on these niggas, but I'm not the hitman anymore. He's just, like, the, the laid-back dude, and he's never been that in any, like, mob movie or Goodfellas-esque movie that I've ever seen him in before, he's usually the hothead. So it was really dope to see him in, an, in, a, in a role that we don't usually see him in, but still in his same element. And then Scorsese just, you know, he's, he's scorsese that shit. So it was amazing. I really enjoyed it. I think it's going to, you know, wind up being one of those movies that come Oscar time is just in every category. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if any one of those three winds up taking something home for it as well as Martin possibly. And I think it was one of the first movies I've seen that had not only a Netflix, but a theater release as well. So you can see it in both places. I don't know who in 2019, about to be 2020, doesn't have Netflix. But I guess if you didn't, you could go see it in the theater too. Um, but yeah, that was really dope. So that was the last thing I watched. Uh, last thing I read uh, was uh, an article in Paper Magazine about Jeremy O'Harris. Uh, Jeremy O'Harris is the uh, the black queer director that has Slave Play, which is you know all the buzz in New York and Brooklyn right now. And uh, I wish I wish I was in Brooklyn right now so I could go see it. Um, it looks hilariously funny. And I was just reading an article uh, where he was talking about slave play, but he was also talking about one of his newer works and just kind of really the article was more talking about the idea of just like the loneliness of creating something. And then once it's like kind of you've debuted it, it's now out there for the world to see and consume. And now you kind of just like only getting to revel in it when it's happening. And then afterwards kind of having to like sit with yourself and almost like not not therapy, but kind of sit in therapy of like all this like stuff that you just bared to the world. You know, as artists, we put this stuff out to the world and, and we, we have this like, I don't know, but I have this innate, like almost like this little push or this little feeling inside of me. It's always like when you create something, it's just, I feel the need to share it, which I think is like an artist's responsibility for the most part. And um, that's usually, you know, what makes you uh, an artist is the, that, that feeling inside of you is like, bro, I don't think I can just keep this to myself. Cause I know mad people who just write, or I know mad people who just, you know, create things but it's just like it's just for them it's just for them to be able to maybe just get through the fucking day but I think the the, the need or the feel or the 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 compel the compulsion to want to share it is what separates somebody from wanting to make this a hobby and what separates somebody from being like an all-around and like real artist and creative is like that compulsion to make something at a certain caliber and like not only make it but then want to share it as well because of the amount of work you put into it or who you think it might touch or for whatever reason I think that compulsion to share, uh, to share things is, is, um, 
what makes you an artist, but also in that article, uh, what he mentions, it, it can be very lonely because it's like once you put out this play, you put out this play that you know he's he's doing this these these scenes that are funny, but also like kind of gut riching and really honest and open. And it's like, oh, it's all funny, and everybody's so caught in the throes of putting on a good show, and you see the audience, and you can get caught up in that aspect. And then, like most artists know, when you get caught up in that aspect, aspect, as soon as you get off stage, now you're just kind of sitting with yourself. You're sitting with your thoughts. You're sitting with the emotions that went into writing this play. You're sitting with, you know, the scenes that were played out, and 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 you know what they represent to you, and how you even got to the point to put them on the stage or the page or whatever, or the you know the track, whatever. And now it's like, okay, now after it's been the fun part of sharing it is done, now I'm just kind of sitting with it and how lonely that can be. And, um, you know, he was talking about how literally people in the play, in, uh, in um, I can't remember the, the name of his other play, not Slave Play, but the, the, the play that's like specifically about being black and queer. Um, he was talking about how like literally the cast will kind of, after the show, just kind of literally sit with each other and almost therapize, just kind of love on each other. And I, and I understand that completely, having coming from a, a slam background, you know, slam poetry is, is it's, a, <laughs> it's a lot about the trauma. You know, it's a lot about pulling up stuff and exposing it, whether it be your story or somebody's story you identify or just a story in general and just kind of, you know, putting the way I was brought into slam, the way I was brought into poetry was just about finding the, the, the like the most honest and truthful you can be and being that bare and honest and truthful can be draining it can be like is it lonely it can and it can you know it can require you to have to have somebody you know almost immediately after you get off stage to be right there just kind of like love on you because it can be a lot like I've I've literally performed like poetry and been more tired after a performance of poetry just based on how much it drained me than I have been after playing like a full basketball game it's a whole different kind of tired like I'm but sweaty like literally hot sweaty breathing hard like need to sit down shaking like all types of shit just from the actual emotional reaction that can become a physical like visceral reaction and um it's a really dope article he's a really interesting dude there's like multiple articles about him on uh, paper.com and they have really dope articles in general it's a it's a media site who has some of my favorite articles, they're well-written. The photography is always on point. And um, interesting categories. Like, they have categories like Broke the Internet or categories... Um, I can't even remember the category specifically that this article was under, but they're, like, basic, like, simple categories that are normal, like fashion, sports, whatever. But then they'll also have these, like, funky kind of different categories, and I, I think that's really unique and cool. So shout-out to Paper.com uh, and Paper Magazine for... Uh, curating a, a really really cool website with some some fire articles on there um and if you have time go check out the uh the jeremy o'harris article um i just i think dude is interesting and funny and um really dope uh, insight on you know kind of what goes into being a creative and what happens you know after you get off the stage i was literally just texting a friend of mine um shout out to black child uh aka t fly and um and yeah and we were just kind of talking about a meme that she posted where it was, it was like me on stage and then me after the after I get off stage and it's like you're on stage and then the the, the you know the second stage of the meme is motherfucker just like sitting in a corner by themselves and we're just laughing about how like literally you'll get off stage and just like I'll run outside and just go smoke or I'll run outside and just like go sit by myself and it's just I don't know it's weird like the the person you kind of morph into when you're on stage versus the person that you literally are the second you get off that stage is really funny and uh I think Jeremy O'Harris's article on paper uh, poignantly touched on that 
and um, just in a different medium, you know, just being an artist, whether you're a, a painter or a rapper or a playwright, you know, um, like, like Jeremy, you, you uh, kind of can deal with the same emotions after, you know, showing that work to the world and now it's like okay now what you know now either I, I think that's why a lot of artists just stay busy and start working on the next thing because it's if like after you put out that one thing if you just sat there and like reveled in it too long it might like fucking drive you crazy so it's like oh nope next thing i gotta start working on the next project so i can just pour myself into that and not sit here and have to maybe i don't know dwell on whatever it was i was just trying to get out or past or wherever i was at that moment when i made that thing i'm not there anymore um, so yeah, I think that's, uh, it's a really good article. It just stirred up a lot of emotions in me. So you should definitely check out that article. That was the last thing I read and then circling back, uh, to the last thing I listened to. Um, like I said, I haven't really li- been listening to anything super new lately. Uh, um, I guess like the last actual project that I guess can consider new that I listened to was, uh, Fabulous's last album, the, uh, the summertime shootout three. Uh, it was straight. Um, wasn't a huge fan of it. Uh, not, I don't know, it's been, a, it's, honestly, it's been a long time since I've sat down and listened to a whole Fabulous project, and I guess I was just looking for, like, I was looking for the bars, man, I was like, okay, when I think Fabulous, I'm thinking Fabulous, when I guess maybe it was when I was in college, or even maybe Killing them what was that, like, 2012, so I'm looking for, like, bars, I mean, I know you finna get the, the, the girl song, the R&B hook, like, that's, that's Fab's bag, but he's also, like, a lyricist, and Summertime shootout, I thought I was going to get more bars, less auto-tune, less melodies, and more like just this nigga rapping his ass off, and then of course him doing his thing for the, you know, two, three tracks on there. For the ladies, it's a little too long. Um, I'm not a huge fan of dropping the, the 20-something track album, or 20-track album, if they're not like, I don't know, if they're not going to be like some serious bangers on there that are going to stand out among the other 20 tracks but um it was straight it's worth a listen there's a couple on there there's a couple like cool i guess instagram worthy one-liners that i've seen a lot of people post um underneath their captions and shit like that which is cool but um yeah, overall it was just kind of a so-so project to me i haven't listened to fat joe's new project yet um but really i mean for the year i feel like as far as me being really looking forward to new music bucket Ooh, you almost get that up as far as me really looking to new, looking forward to new music, um, I think the year's pretty much rounding out. I don't think anybody who hasn't put out an album this year that we would really care about is going to. I don't think we're going to get a Rihanna album before the end of this year. There's like 15 days left in this year, um, 13. I don't think we're going to get uh, another Drake album. I don't. I just. I don't think we're going to get albums that we thought we might were going to get before the year was over. I think everybody's kind of done their thug. So I don't think we're looking for any more music from anybody specific that I'll be hyped about. So I've been listening to a lot of old shit, honestly, ever since Hove's birthday. Shout out to Hove turning 50. It's kind of crazy. Um, I feel like we look at Hove like low-key, like he's like Martin Luther King or something. <laughs> like he like, he has, I had a dream was like fucking, uh, it's like uh, 22-22s. <laughs> he was niggas inspiring and leading, but he's just doing it over a beat. Um, but ever since his birthday, I've been listening to a lot of old Hove just, and then, like, listening to Old Hove, for some reason, always makes me listen to Old Wayne. And then just that just sends me down, like, a whole fucking spiral. So I've been listening to Mad Shit that came out in, like, 03. So, um, yeah, I haven't listened to a whole lot of new music. But that was the last thing I listened to was Fab's Project. And it's worth a listen. It's just uh, not what I was going there for. Um, so that was the last thing I watched, last thing I listened to, last thing I read. 
Um, and then uh, next segment, uh, we're gonna get into nigga, we made it. Uh, nigga, we made it. Um, <laughs> that is uh, that's uh, going out to uh, to Fumi, who is a uh, director here in Austin, black female director here in Austin. And uh, always got to big up black women in arts, especially here in Austin and uh, uh, underspoken about underserved black artistic population. We out here and uh, shout out to her. I just really wanted to say uh, thank you for her having me uh, out to be on her web series. It's fun to shoot. Um, uh, definitely hope to look forward to working with her more. Um, but I thought it was really cool. It's a dope idea. And I uh, just want to say shout out to her for uh, asking me to be a part of it. Uh, that was what I was doing yesterday instead of recording the pod. And I uh, uh, can't wait to get more information about where to let you guys uh, check that out and where it'll be. Um, I'm a fan of the show, so I'm excited to uh, to, to be a part of it. So shout out to Fumi. Um, she's also got a documentary, uh, Shot with Black Child, who I mentioned earlier, uh, about East Austin. Um, so check that out. Follow her on Instagram. Um, her, her, her platform is Art is Cool. Just like that. That's how it sounds. Art is cool on Instagram. Follow her there. And then uh, definitely check out the homie Black Child. Uh, that's at B-L-A-K-C-H-Y-L. And uh, and check out their uh, their um, check out their short story. Check out their documentary. It's really dope. It's, it's uh, always cool to see other people's experiences living and growing up in Austin. Because it's not a lot of us. We rare. So it's dope to see um, you know people's different experiences and, and you know what different parts of Austin mean what to them. Because, um, you know... Like I said, we unicorns out here, <laughs> mad transplants that have no ideas. I be at work every day, and motherfuckers be trying to tell me how to pronounce Desau, and I'm like, bitch, I'm from here. It's not Desau, it's Desau. Fuck out of here, my nigga. Don't tell me how to spell how to say Desau. Nigga, you just got here. So uh, yeah, I always always love for anybody who uh, who's sharing their experience of Austin, specifically East Austin, um, being from here. So yeah. So shout out to Foom, nigga. We made it. So uh. Moving on, uh, getting right into some hot topics. Uh, let's see, where do we want to start? Uh, let's see, kind of, it's not heavy, but kind of get some of the heavy out the way because most of this is going to be jokes and me just kind of relighting this joint and being a dickhead. So, um, get a couple, yeah, it's kind of, kind of heavy, not really. It's uh, more of a, more of, I guess, uplifting, actually and uh, inspiring. Um, so there was a protest done in New York, uh, I believe it was in Times Square in Manhattan, where um, so like hundreds of people essentially just like brought sleeping bags out and slept in the middle of the streets in, uh, in New York, and it was specifically in protest of homelessness and unfair uh, housing prices. And uh, just that, having spent the short time, amount of time I was out there in New York and actually living there, seeing what rent costs, knowing that I paid $300 more for a room in New York in a shared apartment with roommates than I do for my full apartment to myself, one bedroom here in Austin. And, uh, and just knowing that, you know, just walking to work every day, just getting up and going to work every day and taking the train and the amount of homeless people you just see, like I think about homeless people here in Austin and even before they, they kind of passed the law where they allow them to have their tents and stuff. Now I just, this Austin's weather is just more forgiving. Like it's not a whole lot of time where it's cold. It's not a whole lot of, you know, the worst you might catch is it it might flash flood, it might rain a lot, and you know, you just kind of got to get to higher ground, but even Austin specifically is not like Houston, where it has like really scary floods on a regular basis, like Austin's weather's pretty forgiving, it's kind of like being homeless in LA on a low, like it's, it's, the weather's usually pretty good, it can get kind of crazy hot in the summers, and got to make sure you stay hydrated, but 
for the most part, like just walking to work and it's like 17 degrees and seeing somebody like literally wedged in a corner under mad layers of newspapers and stuff trying to stay warm in New York. I was just like, bro, that's a whole different type of homeless. Like it's crazy. It's, I've never seen anything like it. So, um, you know, shout out to anybody out there taking a stand and, and trying to show support and, um, you know, make a change out there. Cause yeah, um, that's, that's definitely a different level of homelessness. When I was seeing that out there, it was, it just seemed incomparable to living anywhere where just, it was warm on a regular basis. Like it did the likelihood of somebody, you know, dying cause it's, they froze is much more likely than somebody, you know, in Texas dying of heat exhaustion, just because the access to water is easier than the access to clothing. And like, there's only so much clothing you can put on before you're still outside in 17 degree weather. So yeah, shout out to anybody trying to make a difference out there um, and then and, and put a stop to that or, or just lend their hand to making uh, people aware of what's going on out there because that shit's nuts. And uh, it's kind of one of those things you really just can't believe how bad it is until you see it. I mean, and just also, I mean, also, I just feel like it's just also cleaner. Like New York is an overall filthy fucking place. Like it, it's yeah, the idea of having to live outside in the cold in New York is, is crazy. I mean, I've even heard ideas proposed before where if you're on the subway and you're like sitting in um some of the older uh, tunnels, you can actually see, like, just unused, like, mad, unused train and subway cars. So I've seen all types of ideas and things proposed where they're like, why don't people take those unused subway cars and turn them into places for homeless people to live when it gets cold outside? Like, turn it into a type of shelter. Like, it's just, they're just there. Like, they're not being used. Some of them are so old that they're never going to be used again because they're, like, not the right type. They don't use those type of carts any, cars anymore. So if they don't use those train cars anymore, use them for something. Otherwise, they're just sitting underground taking up fucking space. Like, you might as well. And I'm one of those people who believes there's, like, a whole race of people living in the subway in New York anyway. Like, you can see them, like, kind of come up every now and then. I swear to God, I was looking for them. Like, when I was in New York, I was looking for these niggas, like, uh, oh man, what was that movie when you were a kid? Oh my God, the, like collectors or the hoarders or the hiders or something. I can't remember that shit. But like they would like pop out and like take things and like take them back underground. I swear to God, any talk to any real New Yorker, there are people living in the subways and living in shit underground. This is not from the movie Us. Dead ass. Like that shit is real. Like I swear to God, I was always on a, my head on the swivel in the subway trying to like catch a glimpse of one of these niggas. They be legit like living in the sewers and underground. Like that they just like have like a fucking underground city down there I, I believe it I, I believe it I put not, I swear to god I put nothing past it so um yeah shout out to everybody out there trying to uh, make a change in New York man it's too fucking cold for mad people to be living out there like that uh next up we're gonna get into these jokes uh first and foremost bro I gotta address Lizzo I really I really have to like she Ain't nobody on my nerve the way Lizzo on my last nerve, bro. I swear to God, bro. There, I have never seen a more intention-seeking superstar in the world. I don't want to hear shit about it. It literally has nothing to do with her size. Because she's been doing the same shit that she was doing at that fucking Lakers game on her Instagram forever. And nobody, I mean, at least not me. I'm sure it's somebody coming for her because they're a hateful, bigoted, piece of shit people out there. So I'm sure it's somebody on her Instagram and her comments saying crazy shit about her size when she be in her dressing room with the titties all out and shit. But that's her dressing room. It's her Instagram. You don't like it? Don't follow her. But come on, my nigga. At the Lakers game? The Lakers game, my guy? Really? Where somebody's like four-year-old nephew is sitting there? And it's just like mad unhygienic to have your bare ass on a fucking public seat. 
Like, what the fuck is wrong with you, bro? Could you possibly want more attention? Like, you're the... I already can't stand it because she swears she's a rapper, but she don't rap. And she don't write her own shit, so you're not a fucking rapper. Like, stop, stop, just stop. And I get just, you're talented. Just make fucking music and win. Like, nobody needs to see you literally over here like, look at me, look at me. I have my ass cut out of my fucking t-shirt at a fucking public function. Like, nobody's coming for you because you big. Because people is coming for you because that's fucking stupid, my nigga. What's wrong with you? Like, this girl literally, like, can somebody literally, I saw a comment, it's fucked up. I saw a comment on Instagram and said, because somebody's spitting her mouth already. I swear to God, I fell on the floor laughing. Just, like, I don't want, I don't think anybody should spit in her mouth, but I understand the sentiment. Like, can you just stop? Can you just make music and fucking be dope and just stop? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Why is that a necessary thing? Why do you have to have your ass cut out of your fucking t-shirt dress at a fucking game where it's little kids and shit? And somebody was like, I heard uh, Crystal, uh, who I'm finna get to next. I heard Crystal on the read talking about, well, the cheerleaders at the game have on less clothes than her. Nigga, their belly buttons are out, my nigga. What are you talking about? This bitch has on a whole ass t-shirt and then specifically cut out the ass just cause. Nigga, what? Like, at this point, I swear to God, Lizzo is the equivalent of fucking 6 9 Like, just not illegal. Like, just anything to look at me, look at me, look at me. Instead of me just making music that people fuck with, look at me, look at me, look at me. My nigga, get the fuck out of here, bro. I have never seen a more attention-seeking superstar who is seeking attention for things other than their talent in my entire fucking life, bro. I swear, I had fucking uh, lunch with my homie the other day, and I was like, bro, I feel bad. Like, I feel like I'm not allowed to say I don't like Lizzo because I'm a black woman. She's like, I don't like her either. I said, my nigga, thank you so much, bro. Now I just feel like... I feel like free to just be like, I can't fucking stand this broad. She's so fucking irritating. And she don't even make dope music for us. She makes catchy music. She's talented. Bitch can play the flute. She can dance. All that's fire. But she makes a bunch of bullshit for white people. Like, none of that music sounds like anything that any niggas anywhere vibe to. That shit is like, I don't know, my nigga. She got y'all, she got y'all under a fucking spell. Like, y'all so caught up on representation and the fact that, like, a big girl making it that it's like y'all allowing her to do cornball shit just because she a big girl. Nah, my nigga, you, we not letting that slide. I wouldn't give a fuck if she was Kim Kardashian. I'm gonna call it like I see it, nigga. If you corny, you corny. And Lizzo is fucking corny, bro. She is a cornball that makes trash pop music, bro. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I ain't. Nigga, fuck out of here, bro. I'm, I'm literally over fucking Lizzo. And I was like I said, we getting right into Crystal, too. I'm a huge fan of the Reed podcast, but I don't know if it's just me, but in the last couple months, bro, can that shit just be done by Kid Fury? At this point, I feel like I can just listen to Kid Fury talk about shit, and I'm going to laugh and giggle at him without having to listen to, like, Crystal's passive-aggressive, like, overly higher-than-thou fucking soapbox-ass fucking statements, like... Nigga, what? Half of her fucking reads and the shit she be talking about these days be just dumb. I feel like low-key she be way too blasted on the podcast sometimes. And she be repeating herself. Like, I just, I don't know, bro. The TV show, I feel like I enjoy her on. And I'm glad that they've got that outlet now. But as far as the podcast, like, I was listening. I mean, I'm finna talk about Justin Timberlake today, too. But Justin Timberlake, like there was one specific incident that happened and it was funny. And so everybody's talking about it and they hear you come talking about, well, I heard that it's, uh, I know somebody who works at the Bowery club and they said they see Justin in there kissing bitches that ain't his wife all the time. Wait a minute. We weren't even talking about that. What made you bring that up? 
What made you bring up something that had nothing to do with what your co-host was talking about? To just like I, I don't know, bro. I don't I don't buy into the idea of everybody just having like an agenda against like specifically straight men, but she do. You got to call a spade a spade. You got to call a spade a spade. For the most part, if I see somebody just like making comments that I feel like might make a straight male uncomfortable because it makes you uncomfortable the same way making a certain comic around comment around a white person makes them uncomfortable because it's about checking a certain type of privilege you have, even though you are not afforded so many other privileges. I, I understand there are certain things that just I will never understand because I'm not a black man. But you will have to understand that you are a man and being a man that comes with a certain privilege. And I feel like there are certain comments that are made that just get under certain straight men's skin because you're just being told something that you just kind of have to reflect on about yourself and check. And then there's there's that. And then there's what the fuck she be doing. She just be like, yo, I want to be like, who hurt you, shorty? Because niggas, somebody pissed her the fuck off. And she ain't looked back since because it's getting like progressively crazier. And the way she breaks down and analyzes certain things is really astute. And and in breaking down and analyzing the things that she talks about, especially now that she's kind of being more open about um, her relationship with her dad on the show, I'm like, oh, well, there it is. That That's, that's what's going down. And you have to be able to recognize certain things about yourself that you're going to call on other people. If you're going to be able to tell somebody else, well, you might want to check into that about yourself because it's probably affecting why you're being this way. You need to do a little self-reflection and realize, my nigga, you be coming after certain people really, really hard, and I don't even understand why. But then capping for niggas and caping for niggas who is like, you, that motherfucker don't deserve your, your, your grace or your, your uh, uh, second chance. But you're willing to give it to them because I'm as a gay person, I can even recognize, bro, you're you're letting somebody make it. Like I said, it ain't cause Lizzo big. That shit was corny. Nigga, if you gay and you corny, you corny. I don't give a fuck. I'm not gonna cap for your corniness cause you gay. No, like nigga, you can get called out on your corny shit, whether you gay, black, anything I identify with is not gonna give you a pass to be a cornball. I'm gonna call you a cornball if you a motherfucking cornball. And she been being a fucking cornball lately. Like that shit is not okay, bro. You you yeah. At this point, I swear to God, I'd be low-key wanting to fast-forward through certain shit she'd be saying on the podcast. I enjoy her, I don't know, it's something about actually seeing them on TV that bothers me less. But I just feel like even when you're on a podcast versus on a TV show, there's a certain anonymity that comes with people not actually seeing you when you're saying certain things. So I feel like some of the shit she'd be getting off when she on a motherfucking podcast, I bet you ain't gonna say that shit on TV. <laughs> you ain't gonna say that shit, nah, 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 nah. It's like, it's like niggas talking shit on the phone to you when you're at work. They gonna get that shit off because they at the phone. Nigga, if this was a desk and they were standing in front of you, they wouldn't they wouldn't get that shit off. Because you just ain't, you ain't, nigga, she ain't built like that. So, yeah. Like, ever since she started going in on ASAP Rocky, Nipsey, just too many people, was just, she kind of cut her draws with me. So, yeah. She 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 can relax. At this point, I can, the, the, the read could just be Kid Fury. Until she can figure out how to, I don't know, get her shit together. But she just, I don't know. It's like less funny and more judgmental. Like where Kid Fury's judgments are funny. Because it's called The Read. I understand they're here to talk shit about people. But his like shit talking be funny. And that that's what made me fall in love with the show originally. I'd be on tour. I, my homegirl Tova put me onto the podcast. I, shout out to Tova. And I would be on, on, on the road just literally in tears giggling. Because I'd be laughing so hard at them like reading these celebrities and stuff. But then, ooh, nice still, Dame. But then... Now it's turned from her reads being like funny judgments to like just judgmental. And it's like, well, this shit ain't funny. It's just like you get funny with 
Kid Fury and then you get the heavy with Crystal. I don't know. I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't like it as much as I used to anymore. But I still enjoy the show. I still subscribe to it. I'm that person for sure. That, but like I say with anything else, anything I like is not above critique. So that's my critique of it is it's less funny from her lately and more just outright just judgmental. And speaking of Justin Timberlake, though, uh, that that more of the more of the funnier moments on the pod last time, um, which was pretty much just a fan dedication episode to Queen and Slim. But one of the funnier moments last time was talking about uh, Justin Timberlake's ass getting caught with that super badass light skinned chick in New Orleans, and I, I I called it. Everybody called it. That nigga Justin looks lit in that video. That nigga like he didn't had too many drinks and about two blunts, and that nigga looked like he was loose as a goose. Don't get me started. Hey, this nigga was rubbing the knuckle with the shorty and shit. Nigga, you holding knuckles with a bitch and rubbing knuckles? Nigga, you have definitely been inside of her. Like, I don't give a fuck what he's saying. Nigga talking about I didn't do nothing. Uh, let me make it very clear. All right, my nigga, don't nobody, don't nobody rub knuckles with nobody they haven't fucked. Like, never, bro. You wouldn't even think to rub the knuckle of a nigga you ain't did it with. Like, nigga, what? But, I mean, we gonna take him at his word. He said he didn't do nothing. Nigga, he said, let me make this clear. I am a happily married man. Uh, yeah, we out here living men in the woods and whatnot, and, and we we not going to break up this happy home. But uh, I, I found it quite funny because, uh, like I said, I ain't never seen nobody hold hands. Niggas was holding hands at the pinky, my nigga. That's, that's I've been fucking you for a minute type behavior. <laughs> like pinky holding? Yeah, fuck out of here, bro. I don't believe it. But you know niggas rock with Justin. That nigga had cornrows, so he's cool, I, I, I guess. I don't know. Uh, Next up. We're going to get into all these Golden Globe nominations. So I'm already tight off for it because I just don't see no color. Who did these nominations? What is this? I mean, it's nothing that I don't not don't fuck with all the way. But I'm just looking through here and I'm just like, it's just real white. Best motion, best motion, best motion picture. Why can't you just call it a fucking movie? Best motion picture, musical or comedy. Dolomite, it was good. I haven't seen Knives Out. I heard that shit was super fire, but also very white. Jojo Rabbit just sounds white. And uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I fuck with Tarantino, but it is also very white. And Rocket Man, super white, about Elton John, about as white as you can be. So that's a real white. Uh, best motion picture drama, Irishman, Joker, Marriage Story, Two Popes, all very white. It's just, I mean, that's been the main, the uh, the main complaint. I do see that. It, I do see that it looks like oh, they're not okay. Yeah, Harriet, Harriet got okay, but that's for actress. It's not for movie. I do, the main complaint I'm hearing is that there's not enough representation as far as um, no female directors were nominated and no people of color were nominated for, I believe, any of the best um, movie. And if I'm looking here, really? Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers, best performance by actress in a supporting role. Okay. Let you tell it. I ain't Alright. Yeah, these are really interesting nominations. Irishman came up really big, but like I said, wasn't not expecting that. But yeah, it really is just, I don't see a whole lot of women, especially not a whole lot of black women on this list. And black women had a really big year in 2019. Actress Jennifer Aniston, Olivia Coleman, Jody, yeah, Nicole Kidman, Reese Witherspoon. Really? And Reese for the morning show? I need to start that. Interesting. 
Because I've seen her in Big Little Lies, and she bodied that shit. But I've always been a Reese Witherspoon fan. But yeah, again, very white. I don't see... Jeez. Very interesting. Best performance by actress in a limited series. Yeah. Everything I'm looking at here is very white in the actress category. Patricia Arquette for the act. Joey King for the act. Michelle Williams. Emily Watson for Chernobyl. Meryl Streep for Big Little Lies. She did body that role, though, but it's fucking Meryl Streep. Like, come on. Okay, okay, okay. So, it really, it's just black women. Black, I mean, black dudes got a couple nods. I still could use more than that. When They See Us didn't get nominated for anything? Oh, yeah, they bugging. They bugging. Sometimes shit is so good that you're just supposed to get all those nominations. I feel like the, the Golden Globes are like, oh, because when they see us got nominated and black people got nominated for so much stuff with the Emmys, we're not going to do that too. Nah, fuck that, my nigga. Sometimes shit, the good shit is just good shit. Like, what? When they see us is not nominated for best television series, best television limited series, nothing. It's not on any of this shit. Are you fucking kidding me? Wow. Yeah, that is a very white best television series. Big Little Lies, white as fuck. The Crown, white. I think the only black person on Big Little Lies is um, badass, super fine, what's her name? Zoe Kravitz. That's the only black person on that whole show. And Zoe, about see-through, is a motherfucker. That's wild, bro. Best television series, Big Little Lies, The Crown, Killing Eve, The Morning Show, and Succession. All very white. Best Limited, Catch-22, White, Chernobyl, Fosse, Loudest Voice, Unbelievable. All white. Wow, 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 Okay. Well, I understand why everybody is so upset. That's kind of crazy. This is going to be a boring-ass... Man, that's... These are really boring nominations, just as far as, like, the actual shows. Like, The Crown is boring. And while Big Little Lies is fun to watch, it's not like the fastest paced show. I still haven't watched Fleabag yet. This will be interesting to watch. Of course, I was really, really shocked that uh, Euphoria didn't have any nominations. Like, I'm I'm just the wave that Zendaya's been having all year and just kind of the, the you know, the, the onslaught of good work that she's put out. And then HBO usually just kind of cleans up with all their series anyway. So... I was definitely expecting for Euphoria. I was really looking for Sam Levinson, the director and the um, writer and creator, to have, um, you know, kind of a breakout year uh, because of the popularity of the show, one, and two, just the content matter and how well-written it is. And then more than anything, what I'm really shocked to see, I know it didn't uh, get out in time for Emmy nominations, which is what I'm thinking is going to happen when the Emmys come out, is they're going to have a lot of... Uh, nominations when the Emmys come out next year uh, because they didn't make the they didn't make the date I believe you have to have everything in by March to be nominated and the show didn't come out until June so I think the Emmys will probably give them more credit but with the way that show was shot I mean I'm surprised they didn't get nominated for anything for like cinematography or anything the yeah that's that's kind of crazy I did not see a single show that came out this year that was shot better than um uh, euphoria like just yeah 
their their use of color and and the way they're able to like I've said on this podcast already able to make a shot a scene so dark to look like it's in pitch black night but still have these really I mean violent purples and and, and pinks and really just amazing colors and um, yeah and still keep the shot so dark is uh, kind of fascinating to me so I'm pretty pretty surprised that I don't see them nominated anywhere for any type of cinematography or camera work. So this will be really interesting to see who the big winners come up at the Golden Globes. I rarely watch the uh, the actual shows themselves. I kind of just check to see who won. If anybody I give a shit about won, I check to listen to their uh, their acceptance speech. And uh, we'll see. It's looking like the SAG Awards and the Critics' Choice Awards are going to be more interesting as far as the, uh, the diversity of the show nominations. Because, yeah. Wow, this is really white. Yeah, definitely. I don't, I don't think I'm going to be uh, tuning into this at all. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be tuning into this at all. That's crazy. Wow. Well, we'll see. We'll see uh, who takes any of these trophies home. But I'm really surprised that um, Sam Levinson didn't get a nom. Surprising Day didn't get a nomination. And I'm also actually really surprised that uh, Jacob Bellardi, the character that plays Nate Jacobs, didn't get uh, nominated either because... Um, for both him and Zendaya, for Zendaya to go from Spider-Man and The Greatest Showman, and essentially Disney, she didn't do a whole lot before this, to a role like this and to really sink her teeth into it and play a really complex character and play it well, um, I was really impressed with. And it kind of made me a much, much, much bigger fan and much more, uh, much more of a subscriber to her, um, than I was before seeing that show. And then, um, as far as Jacob Lardy's character, he went from, you know, essentially a romantic comedy with the, the kissing booth on Netflix. And now he's, he's again, playing a role that shows like, yo, oh, you can act, act. And um, so I thought for sure that they were going to wind up getting like breakout roles and nominations. And like I said, I really thought that Sam Levinson uh, for, you know, for writing the screenplay uh, was going to wind up, um, you know, getting a lot of attention in a nomination. But we'll see. We'll see how the Emmys goes. Uh, they, I think they that series is doing so well. And I think everybody that is a part of that show is um, so excited to be a part of it. They they don't seem, I, don't, I haven't seen anybody complain or be worried about getting nominated for anything. So that's interesting. Um, could have something to do with how young they all are. But uh, I think that could also have something to do with why they didn't get nominated, which I don't think is fair because, you know, that could have something to do with why When They See Us didn't get nominated either because that is a very, albeit black, also a very young cast as well. Like majority of the people who got nominated for things at the Emmys most of those characters were all like under the age of 23. So, you know, with the exception of, um, lady to play the prosecutor from Desperate Housewives who just got in that trouble for cheating to get her daughter in the USC. I'm losing her name right now, but with the exception of her and, um, I think that's it. With the exception of her and maybe a few other people, that was the, uh, That was the only character I can think of. Yeah, they got uh, they got nominated. It was uh, like over the age of 23. So that could be why they got snubbed. It could be just having something to do with the fact that they're all pretty young. And if that is the case, I think that's kind of fucking lame. But we'll see. So, eh, eh, womp womp off those nominations. Uh, I think that's the last thing as far as... Oh, no, I got to talk about it. I got to talk about it. Why I do my nigga Billy D. Williams like that? Like, I knew Billy D. Williams like that, bro. That's Lando Calrissian. Y'all better put some respect on his name, my nigga. It's the first black character ever to be in Star Wars, nigga. Y'all better put some respect on his name. That's Billy D. Williams. Fuck you mean. 
Y'all, y'all have Billy D. Williams out here sounding crazy as a motherfucker. Billy D. Williams is 82 years old. And y'all was putting words in this nigga mouth like he know what the fuck the term gender fluid means. Nigga, <laughs> that nigga say, wait a minute, what? Like, that nigga actually used the term properly. He actually used the term correctly. And y'all goofy, homophobic, repressed, silly ass niggas start talking to this nigga and had him thinking it meant he was gay. He was like, wait a minute, no, I'm not gay. Baby, you was right. We know you're not gay. You Billy D. We know what Billy D do. My mama used to talk about you. You was, you know what I'm saying? You was the coldest cat of the decade. You know what I'm saying? You had bitches chasing you from Timbuktu to fucking Austin, Texas. We know how Billy D do. He actually used the term properly. Billy D. Williams comes from the 60s and the 70s, a whole nother time when people were not as repressed and goofy as motherfuckers are now and understood that sexuality is a spectrum. Understood that, you know, you, you can be a dude and wear pink or wear even a dress or wear some shit a girl would wear and still very much be a dude a la billy d williams marvin gay prince all these motherfuckers were very in touch with their feminine sides and got mad pussy and were very very it was like part of their mystery it's like I, I i remember being a kid and being like what what just what is prince like, period. Is he a girl? Is he a boy? Is he gay? Is he straight? Nigga, is he black? Is he white? He was just a mysterious motherfucker, which I think is part of how he pulled. Like, nigga's just like, ooh, he's just, he's an interesting individual. Like, and they understood that being that complex, having that many layers to you, made you cool. As opposed to now, some goofy nigga getting this nigga Billy D here and got him thinking, oh, if I say I'm gender fluid, it means I'm, no, you used it the right way. Dudes back then was much more in touch with their feminine side. Fashion was different, so it allowed for guys to be more fluid. And you really just kind of played off of really just how you felt. It also had a lot to do with the amount of drugs that were being taken back then. But you just kind of cared less than motherfuckers do now, especially in the black culture. Like, if a nigga dressed like Billy D. Williams now, somebody somewhere would call him a faggot. Like, somebody somewhere would call him a faggot. Meanwhile, this nigga done seen his friend's dick in person and doesn't think it's gay. I don't know. I'd be so confused by the things that niggas be talking about when it comes to, like, what's gay and what's not. It's like, we can fuck the same girl in the same room at the same time and see each other's penises, and we're all hard together. That's not gay. But this nigga in his pink soft shirt, he's a faggot for sure. I don't understand it. But, you know, that's how they have my nigga Billy D lost in the sauce. My nigga said, I'm not gay. We know you're not gay, Billy D. You Billy D motherfucking Williams. You Lando Calrissian. You first black character in Star Wars. You that nigga. You just also in touch with your feminine side. And we respect it. Don't listen to these dumbass niggas who confuse you. You 82. Got this nigga saying gender fluid. That nigga don't know what the fuck gender fluid mean. The fuck is 20 year olds who don't know what the fuck gender fluid mean. Y'all confusing. This nigga 82, bro. 82? Wasn't even a term for gender fluid back then. Niggas was just being themselves. We got to define shit for goofy niggas out here. So they go, I got to understand what box to put this nigga in. Is he gay? Is he? Man, shut the fuck up. Nigga, worry about something that matters. Speaking of, my nigga, shout out to uh, uh, Zaire Wade, bro. On the podcast last time, I talked about how beautiful um, I really feel like Dwayne Wade is, just inside and out, like already one of my favorite basketball players. But for him to put, make that post and just be like, look, I was chosen to lead my family. Y'all niggas worry about what the fuck you doing? We good over here. Me and mine is good. Gucci bandana. I don't know if you see anything in this picture other than happiness. You need to get a motherfucking life zooming in on this nigga fingernails and talking about this nigga crop top. The fuck you worried about this nigga kid? Nigga, go raise yours. So either way, shout out to that Wades in general. Shout out to Zaire. I really love the post he made uh, 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 talking about we didn't ask for your opinions. 
yeah, that nigga's the truth. I really love this new generation. Uh, can't can't praise him enough. Um, and uh, speedy recovery. He's out and injured right now. Um, I was having fun watching him and and, and Bronny kill it at Sierra Canyon. So speedy recovery, desire Wade. Uh, nice transition into sports. Um, so I'm gonna you know, keep it pretty brief. Um, Got to get right to the point, man. That white boy Luka Doncic. That's a bad motherfucker right there. Hey, 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 hey. That nigga's cold. That that nigga can boogie, bro. Um, I've never not been somebody to like see and believe. Like I've I've definitely always you know been a fan. I've I've never had anything negative to say about him. But the more I watch that dude play, I there's just he's becoming the type of good that just doesn't have any chinks in his armor. Like, and when you are the type of good that doesn't have any chinks in your armor, like, nobody can say there's one thing specifically that's just like, we can expose you by doing this. That is the makings of greatness. That white boy is fucking good. Period. He plays confidently. He plays level-headed. He plays with his own pace. He doesn't allow, no matter who he plays, whether it's LeBron James and the Lakers or fucking the Cleveland Cavaliers, whoever has the worst record in the fucking league, that nigga plays with the same pace against champions as he does against any other NBA player. That is the making of greatness. I don't allow anybody to dictate this game. I don't allow anybody to dictate how I'm playing but me, period. And that shit is phenomenal to see, especially in a motherfucker who is 20 years old. That nigga can't buy himself a beer yet. And this nigga is hitting step back three pointers on LeBron James. Nigga, I don't know what to tell you, my nigga. If you if if you're not a believer, I don't uh, yeah. 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 He makes me a believer more and more every time I see him. I'm just I mean in football we can give the we can give Lamar Jackson the MVP trophy. That nigga Luka Doncic keep playing the way he's playing right now. We can go ahead and give him the NBA MVP trophy because that nigga is boogieing right now. And with the pieces he has around him in Dallas now, he's 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 better for it. He's able to, I think his, I mean, not unsung because I feel like every aspect of his game is so highly praised right now, but I feel like, you know, the way he's able to control the offensive pace, people just look to his scoring capability and how he really can just get it anywhere on the court. He can get that step back three. He can get mid-range boogie. He can get to the lane. He can get to the free throw line. Like, I mean, he's not super athletic, but he's athletic enough to pull off what he wants to do. It never looks like anything he's trying to do is a struggle or a stretch outside of himself. And he looks like he dropped about 15, 20 pounds this year. So he's, he's, he's locking in. And and I'm yeah I'm I'm impressed I'm I'm along for the ride he keep playing the way he playing he uh, he gonna fuck around and win MVP this year especially if like he's able to get the uh, the Mavs into the playoffs and they keep playing the way they playing now I don't see why they don't get into the playoffs so shout out to Luka Doncic I every time it's become a team that I want to watch like I'm gonna watch Rockets games because I'm a Rockets fan I'm gonna watch Celtics games because I'm a Celtics fan but then you know there are other teams you watch outside of the teams you want to see just because. I, I want to see a certain matchup, or I'm going to watch the Lakers play because they're the Lakers. I'm going to watch, you know, just good team. I'm going to watch the Clippers play because they're the Clippers. I'm going to watch good teams play just because they're good teams. I watched the um, Bucks game last night because I wanted to watch the Bucks play because they're fun to watch play. And um, Dallas is becoming one of those teams where, like, oh, oh shit, Dallas is playing? Okay, I want to watch that game because I want to see what Luka Doncic is going to do. So, yeah, shout out to Luka Doncic's game. It's, uh, I'm enjoying what I'm seeing. Um, unless speaking of the Rockets, unless uh, thrilling news, yo, it, I, I genuinely feel like you could say this any year, but I feel like the refs are significantly worse this year than they've ever been. I don't know if they're like, 
got a fucking bunch in their panties because now they can be challenged like in football now and they don't like the idea of people challenging them or the fact that you can challenge and review plays now. I don't know if they just feel like there's like less control being taken from them, but some of the calls and shit they're making these days is just, it's getting kind of irritating and nothing proves it more and I guess maybe how lazy they're getting, I don't know, than that fucking James Harden dunk. Now, they blew the game. They should have won that game. But I do genuinely believe in something called momentum. And the momentum at the time was in the Rockets' favor. And the second that that shit happened, everything stops. They're, they, they're just they're looking around. People are pointing. People are arguing. D'Antoni's on the court arguing with the ref. You just changed the momentum now. Where we had a momentum going that could have carried us to the end of that game, now we don't. And now what we're thinking about is, oh, this blown call. Oh, we're mad. Oh, this should have counted. And, and you know, I don't think that they should have been able to replay the game. But at the same time, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. They totally should have challenged it. But that's just, that's a wild oversight. To just outright not count a basket that so obviously went through the hoop. And you're standing under the fucking goal. You're standing right next to me. You got the same fucking view of the shit as I do. So... I don't know, shame on the refs, shame on the NBA refs, and it's just, it's getting more and more difficult to watch them blow calls as the game becomes, and the players become better, I feel like they should too, like the talent in the league every year, I feel like gets exponentially better, more and more new names, and people from the G League, and people from all types of different places from Europe come in, and they add to the talent level and the caliber of play that is in this game and it's shifting more and becoming more versatile big men are shooting now which was something we never heard of in the NBA it was like only in Europe where the, like, we thought it was soft now if you don't have a stretch wing player or you don't have a big that can spread the floor like the teams are like well you, you barbecue chicken nigga because that's like kind of a, necess- a necessity now you know you gotta have somebody who can play low and, sp- and also have a credible enough shot that they can step out and somebody has to go guard them and now you can spread the floor. If you don't have that, you're not making it past the first round of the playoffs in 2019. And that used to be unheard of. So as the game grows and the players get better and the level of talent gets better, that's got to go for the refs too, bro. It can't just be the players that are getting better. The people who are out there on calling the games also have to get better. And as the technology gets better, it's going to start poking holes in where they are lacking. And they got to make up for it. Otherwise, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. So, yeah. Either way, off the ref's nuts. But, uh, yeah, it's just getting kind of irritating. Uh, also, I am, uh, I'm nothing if I'm not honest. I'm nothing if I don't try to... Uh, be as level and even as possible, no matter what, <laughs> even if this is my podcast. But, um, I mean, last last podcast, I was just really unimpressed with the caliber of talent that the Lakers had beaten. Um, and I'm starting, I'm starting to become more of a believer. I got to be honest, I'm starting to become more of a believer. I'm starting to see more and more how comfortable uh, LeBron and how comfortable um, ADR playing together. I'm starting to become really what I'm starting to become more. I, I, I didn't think that that wasn't going to work. What I'm starting to become more and more um, impressed with is their bench players play. I thought they weren't very deep, and now I'm starting to see okay, they they have a, a bit more, a few more pieces on their bench than I expected. Um, you know, besides the uh, the balding white boy Caruso, so um, uh, Dwight Howard's you know playing his role, he's playing well. So I gotta tip my hat to them. They're starting to play better teams. Um, I'm still more interested in seeing if it is sustained against teams that are over 500 because they still really haven't played a lot of them. 
I feel like, you know, the Clippers, the Raptors, the Celtics, we've played a lot of teams, you know, already that are teams that are 500 or better. And, you know, I still feel like they've still maybe played five or six teams that are 500 or better. Um, I think their harder time is still coming in the second half of the season for them or as the season just progresses. But um, we'll see. I think the key thing with them between LeBron and his age and between AD and his already um, uh, injury-prone past is just seeing who who and how long everybody can stay healthy. Um, so, but I had to come on here and, and make a you know a public statement because I like I said I try to be as even as possible and the Lakers are definitely uh, better than I thought they were and so we'll see, we'll see uh, we'll see how that goes. Um, and I think we'll wrap the pod on today. Uh, it's just something to kind of think about as uh, as you leave after listening to the podcast. Kind of was talking to a good friend of mine at um, at Tia Williams premiere uh, a couple of weeks back, and we we're just kind of talking about you know procrastination versus patience, and uh, and the idea that um, be be careful not to allow one to become the other. Be careful not to allow patience to become procrastination, um, and and be careful to. Um, recognize when patience is necessary and you're not procrastinating and understand that, you know, good things come to those who wait and, uh, and just stay in the course. You know, uh, I, have a, I have a rapper friend who says, oh, my nigga, I've quit rapping like 10 times, but, but he's still rapping, you know? And, and it's just like Nipsey say, you, you know, the only real difference I think between people that make it is just not quitting. Cause I know mad talented people. And if all you needed was talent, I know a million fucking, you know, famous people or rich people or successful people, however you want to define it. Um, but it's, it's, you know, the idea of staying the course and, and remaining patient and remaining steadfast and just have kind of having to have that Nipsey like, uh, confidence in yourself that, you know, if I, if I stay the course, if I keep working, you know, it may not happen when I'm looking for it to happen, but it'll happen when it's supposed to happen. And it may not look like I think it's supposed to look when it does happen, but I'll know it when it happens. And the idea of just, you know, not wasting time, but also understanding that, you know, you can't rush. And especially to me, you shouldn't want to rush, um, you know, whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, you know, the, the more time you spend with it, the more, um, patience you give it, uh, the more honest I think it is when that final product comes out. So appreciate y'all for listening to, uh, episode five of the creative ass podcast. Uh, I gotta take my black ass to bed. My TV is even telling me right now, are you still there? Like nigga, this shit is just still out here and, and holding on um, while you've watched two basketball games without pushing a single button. Um, this uh, Denver game is, is still going on, and uh, I'm interested to see what, uh, what my boy Melo doing. I'm, I'm, I'm hyped for him and Derrick Rose this season. Um, but, yeah, getting the fuck out of here. Y'all have a good day. Peace.